Welcome to Coach House Talks. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Andy. I look after the church here. It's my uh, great privilege to, to look after you. And we're just spending a few weeks looking at what constitutes the DNA of the church, what we believe as leaders, the church here represents what it should be, um, what it looks like to the outside, and what it should be inside. So hopefully what we just started with already starts to make sense for you. So as we continue to look at what constitutes our DNA, the building blocks of our church, the coach house, I want us to look at what I, or I believe to be one of the underlying and important aspects of this church. I know I'm not going to stand in there like I would do on a Tuesday and have, have kids fill it with their toys and all kinds of things, but there's a clue to what we are. All right. So, I state it on our website, and I just want to explore it a little today, with the intention of helping us to understand our roles and our responsibilities in God's work here. I believe that the coach house is and should be a hospital. Hopefully we've already seen as we've gone through lots and lots of scriptures over the, over the last few years, hopefully we've seen that church can mean the real church those that are saved and justified by the acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice, the gathering of believers, or it can have a more general term for any religious body, which unfortunately is how many view church today. An understanding of this difference is really important. And we're going to if we're going to really understand our role as a hospital... In the New Testament, the gathering of believers are referred to as the ecclesia, which is a Greek word, and it just means gathering of those that are summoned. So literally, those that are called out and separated. But because this can mean any gathering, united and bound by a purpose, and you need to understand this when you read the, the Bible, because sometimes ecclesia is used in a non-church description. So any gathering that's united and bound by a purpose can be an ecclesia. We find the term cropping up in more general areas, areas of the Bible as well. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian believers, said this. And he had this, this difference in mind when he addressed them using the term. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, he says, For I am the least of all the apostles, in fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way that I persecuted God's church or ecclesia. Note how the term ecclesia has been translated here for us as God's church. This is to draw our attention to the fact that we're called out by God to be separate. Okay, It's not just any old group. We are God's group. We are God's church. God calls us out to be separate. And this is a continuation of God's words in the Old Testament when he made covenant promise to his people. If they worshipped him, the creator of the world, rather than false gods, then he would have communion with them. They would belong to him. 
The covenant promise of God translates directly into the New Testament church. We are called to be God's ecclesia. We are called out and we are to be separated. I would argue that most, if not all, of the letters in the New Testament are addressing this in some form. They're addressing this requirement to be different to how everyone else is acting. To be separate from the world. Have your faith in God who has revealed himself to you rather than the things that you've learned to survive in. Paul links the two for us in his second letter to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 14 to 17 says this and it sounds very harsh and it sounds very strong. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And as God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, Come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Now there's a great set of verses to take out of context, isn't it? We could just read that in isolation and go, okay, there's justification for going living as monks and not having anything to do with anybody and just being completely and utterly separate from the world. So we must understand how this sits in the rest of Scripture. This is really important for us to understand, especially with the pressures that surround us today to do church in particular ways. Remember that Jesus proved himself, and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, to be counter-cultural. Remember that Jesus not only was counter-cultural in political, but also social ideas of the time. But his most vocal clashes we're always with the religious leaders. Those who had created chains for the people that God had made free. So the church, God's church, who God knows have surrendered to him, must display the characteristics of their saviour. 2 Timothy 2 verse 19. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows who are his. And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Now, this was said in relation to some believers who had abandoned the truth and gone their own way in understanding Jesus' teaching on resurrection. They decided, hey, the resurrection of the dead has already happened. So we're going to reconstruct all of what we've been told in view of this. And they had to be told, no, you've turned away from the truth. So how we mix up being God's church and church in general, well, I think we can view hospital in the same way. We hear the term and we go, oh, we know what that means. But hospital, like church, has many Connotations. So what do I mean when I say, what is a hospital? Most of us would describe what we see around us today and equate it with the NHS. 
correct? And the various experiences you've had with the NHS, whether it be good or whether it be bad. But when I say that the DNA of the coach house is that we are a hospital, we need to understand what I mean by this. Let's think of our name for a second. Coach house. What's a coach house? When you are to shout out, what's a coach house? Anyone know? It's for horses. That's pretty good. And what do they pull? Coaches. So a house for... Simple, eh? Because, because I think we call the name, we call ourselves the coach house and we don't really understand why we're called the coach house or what importance a coach house actually had in society. A coach house is simply a place where carriages were housed or where they were stored, where the horses were rested and refreshed and often, when like on a main thoroughfare like the A6, which was the main route between London and Carlisle before the M6 came along, we would expect loads to see loads of carriages and horses traipsing up and down this main road. They became a place to stop and rest en route. So some of these houses for carriages became a little bit more expansive. They became a little bit more popular and they became coaching inns. So you'll see lots of pubs called the coach inn or words of similar. And they tend to be where coaches would stop and rest and find refreshment. Before they continued their journey. So these places were places of hospitality. Right. Immediately we can see where some words have their origin. Hospitality. Hospital comes from the word hospitality. A place of hospitality. We wouldn't immediately associate this with sick people. Although today, if somebody said hospital, we would. The root of hospital is the Latin hospis, which means guest or stranger. It's also where we get the words hostel and hotel. So literally, a hospital is a place of rest and refuge for a stranger. Oh, that puts a slightly different connotation on things, doesn't it? A place of refuge and safety for strangers. Now, this was especially true of the earliest hospitals in the UK. They were all built in cathedral cities, and they were all built by the church in order to provide shelter and accommodation for strangers. Most notably, pilgrims. Pilgrims on their way, travelling between holy city to holy city. Which is why we find them in cathedral cities. And even some of the oldest, most established church um, hospitals today are still named after the cathedrals or the churches that built them. And this reminded me of some key references in scripture. Romans 12, verse 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice what? Hospitality. 
Or Hebrews 13, first two verses. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. So a hospital then is a place of love and support. Generous in acceptance and provision. But I think Jesus held an even higher view of hospitality. He didn't just see it as a place of recreation. Jesus saw it as a place of restoration. The famous words in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God and the final judgment talk about the final separation that is going to come between good and evil. So Matthew 25 from verse 37. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. A requirement of us as church, as God's people, as those that are called out and separated for his business, is that we should behave and have a culture that reflects what Jesus has for mankind. We respond to the sickness that prevails in this world and we do it with love. But not just the kind of love that provides acceptance. But the kind of love that Jesus demonstrates. And I just want to stress this. We can be very welcoming. We can be a loving place. But we need to go all the way and show the kind of love that Jesus shows. Jesus' love is so great that he tells us, and I think C.S. Lewis quotes this, that he will not just leave us in the state he finds us. He changes us into his likeness. He restores us. And this, above all things, is what true grace looks like. We find acceptance by Jesus, but he doesn't leave us in the same way he found us. He refuses to because he loves you so much. He knows he's the answer, but that's not good enough just to bring you into his presence. He wants to change you. He wants to restore you. Jesus changes us. He restores us and he gives us rest. He heals us physically, but more importantly, spiritually. We are reunited with our creator God through the healing sacrifice of Jesus. As Peter tells us one quote in the Old Testament, just to link the two Testaments together. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He, Jesus, personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. 
by his wounds you are healed. This is in to Peter. Not Isaiah, but it's a quote from Isaiah. In fact, it's a bit of a mismatch of a quote from Isaiah and he's put them together in a slightly different order to Isaiah gives them to us. By faith in Jesus, we're being told, the effects of the fall and man's rejection of God is counted as we are saved and redeemed. We are bought with a price so that we can be reconciled to God. By his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, his death and his resurrection, we are healed completely. We may not have entered into this yet, but the promise is certain and guaranteed. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22. He, that's God, has identified us as his own. Remember that we're called out, separated, God's ecclesia, God's people. He has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. The early church understood this. They understood what this meant. When they met together, they encouraged one another. They shared their possessions. When we read Acts, we see all of these wonderful things that they suddenly start to do. I wonder who told them to do it. Hmm. They just start gathering together. They've just all suddenly come into this new relationship and they start doing these weird things. Well, let's sell our houses and our property and let's look after one another. Let's share our houses. Let's just feed each other. Let's have meals. And where did they get all this from? It was an expression of the love that they saw Jesus spending when he spent time on earth, when he spent time with people, when he went from village to village. What did Jesus do? Did he eat just those that knew him? No, he ate with the sinners. The early church understood what was being required of them. They met together in encouragement. They shared the possessions. They ate meals together. They prayed together. They sang together. They were massacred together. Maybe I'm overstating that one. But it's pretty much what happened to them. They had community one with another. And something was so strong so binding that they were prepared to go through all of that. All the persecution that this brought. And that was because they were all united in their belief and faith in Jesus as Messiah and Savior. Jesus was not a tack on for them. Okay, They didn't just meet in the houses and go, oh, well, let's just have a passing nod to Jesus. Jesus was the very essence and the very core of why they met together. They were the gathering of those who had faith in God's provision for them through Jesus. They were the church that God recognizes, marked by the Holy Spirit. They were God's ecclesia. How do we know this? Well, because in the face of tremendous persecution, they persisted and they grew. 
more and more people joined the numbers of the New Testament church even when persecution was raging around them. Can you imagine that today? Can you imagine thinking, will our church grow if actually we were not allowed to meet together or we were going to face imprisonment if we met together and maybe the place wasn't so comfy? Do you think we'd grow? Because I think we kind of flip things on the head sometimes. I think we go, well, if we make the place nice and comfy, then we'll see growth. But often Jesus can be pushed to the side and just become a tack on if we're not careful. We've heard lots from the, the missions in the last couple of weeks. And that's one of the reasons why it's really important to just take on board what missions are telling us. Because persecution, whether we like it or not, is alive and well today. We might not face it in the way that our brothers and sisters around the world do, but it's coming. Why, how do I know it's coming? Well, the Bible tells me it's coming. It tells me there's going to be a huge separation between those that are God's church and those that are not. There's going to be some mighty shaking up going on when that happens. And I would expect that in the run-up to that, there would be an even greater shaking up for God's people. So, they were persecuted, but many were added to their number and believed. So then, on reflection then, the church as a hospital is a place of healing and refreshing, but more than that, we must be a place of restoration. God's determination to claim humanity back to himself and provide all we need should and is reflected in his church. The actions of the first gatherings of believers, it permeated their lifestyles. It changed them. It changed their decision-making. You see, being countercultural is really just behaving as God intends and not as the world dictates. We contain the healing truth of God's provision through Jesus and we are commissioned or actioned to make disciples of all nations. A modern hospital building is pretty useless without doctors and nurses. Would you agree? And I contend that a church building is pretty much useless if it doesn't contain within its walls equipped, trained, and willing servants of Jesus. We display the characteristics of our great healer who has restored us. We wouldn't send people to a hospital if we knew it had no staff, would we? Why would God then send people that he loves to a church that is not equipped and ready to receive the sick. I'm always disturbed, and unfortunately we've seen it here, I'm always disturbed when church decides who it can and cannot reach, as though we are the ones who determine the extent of God's grace. My Bible and my own life, Paul's words tell me 
that no one is beyond God's love and acceptance. No one. We enter hospital with a problem. That problem is whatever guise it displays itself in, but it's called sin. That's why we need hospitals. That's why we need church as a hospital. It needs to deal with sin. Jesus is the defeater of all sin. There is no sin that Jesus' stripes have not healed us from. None. Not one. So how dare we decide who can and cannot be saved? Now, I'm not having a dig, but often we like to layer things and we like to say, this sin is so much worse than this one. Often we're doing that because we're human beings and human beings still like to control. We don't, let, we don't like to let God have everything. So we decide, or we'll put limits on things. We'll decide who God can and cannot deal with. The truth is, if that's how God dealt with me, I wouldn't be stood here now. And if that's how God dealt with any of us in this room, we wouldn't be sat here now. Jesus is the defeater of all sins. We cannot decide if some sins are worse than others. Jesus is either the answer to sin or he is not. All sinners are welcome here. All sinners are welcome here. That's, I, I'm gonna, I, I mean, if I could blaze that across our church, I would do. You are welcome here. And I don't care what your sin is. We must have the attitude that Jesus had. But we enter a hospital with the recognition that we are seeking the help of the healer. I believe that Jesus can forgive all sin and has the power to change all lives. Forgiveness is instant, but the change of lifestyle can take a long time. The only incurable sin is the one the patient refuses to admit that he or she has. We are here to admit those in need and treat with hospitality and respect all those that God brings our way. We are the tools at the disposal of Jesus and we submit to his will and we give hope to those in need. We need to understand, therefore, that some will stay and be equipped to help others. Some will be long-term cases, and yet others will come to a place of refuge and rest, have their needs met, and then move on, like pilgrims on a journey. Coach House is a hospital, but we really should guard about letting it become a hotel or just a hostel. Let's make sure that we are what we claim to be. A man walks into a church. He asks the minister for refuge and help in his life. The minister looks at him and says, Well, I'm sorry. We do good singing here and we've got a really nice, decent parents and toddlers group. But I'm not sure that I can help you with that problem. The man turns away disappointed. I'm sorry, he said. 
I'm sure your sign said that you were a hospital. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.